1: My guest is uh, Giovanni Strona. Giovanni is a senior researcher um, at the European Commission. We're going to talk about uh, his current work there and perhaps his past work with uh, ancient pathogens. So welcome, Giovanni. Thank you.
2: Thank you. I'm uh, very glad to be, to be here and to have a
1: chance to talk about my recent uh, research. Well, tell me um, about your current work
2: you know, with the European
1: Alliance. What are you doing there?
2: Uh, okay, yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm working for the Joint Research Center which is basically one of the directorate of the european commission and its mission is, is that of uh, providing scientific uh, advice to policy makers in Brussels. And, and and we are doing different kind of research so there is a uh, quite a uh, quite a bit of uh, uh, topics there so i'm uh, a macroecologist and uh, uh, i'm working in particular on the effect of uh, global change on uh, and, and the world that ecological play. In the in global change and uh, biodiversity loss uh, in general so i've been doing that for the last uh, i would say 10 or 15 years and uh, I'm, I'm still doing that at the end.
1: right but what research questions are you looking at are you dealing with ancient pathogens coming from permafrost or was that before like what's your oh yeah that was sort of a self-contained
2: project that i started when i when i was working at the at the university of Helsinki a couple of years ago and it was mainly born from uh, the fact that in the past I've used the the same kind of simulations that we are using in in these uh, research, which is uh, uh, artificial life simulations. And at some point we figure out that in that kind of with that kind of tool you can actually take organisms from early stages of the, of evolution of communities and move them into into modern communities. And then before that there was a lot of uh, parallels between this this potential experiment. That and what is now going on with the permafrost helping uh, at an accelerating uh, rate, and uh, a lot of potential uh, of organisms which are potentially released uh, to, into the uh, environment. So, so we put together like possibility of doing that in these kind of experiments, simulations. We, with with this uh, with with the fact that uh, there is a lot of speculation on the on, on what could be the effect of those hands uh, organisms coming in contact with uh, with modern communities.
1: What do you mean? What organisms? Where? Well, we actually did uh,
2: so we did not look at, at, at a specific organism, so these the, the, the tools that we used these uh, digital life simulations are basically systems which provide analogies to, to real world system, in particular with, with microorganisms, bacteria and, and viruses. but uh, there you have uh, like computer programs that uh, evolve from uh, talking from simple ancestral uh, organisms which can do just uh, uh, very simple operations. And basically, they, this program mutate and uh, reproduce and interact with an environment which is made up of, of numbers. And by crunching numbers, they, they, they have access to, to, to energy and they compete with other organisms and you can have pathogens there. So it's, it's a system that it looks quite uh, abstract and far uh, away from the real world. But uh, even though these uh, like digital organisms that that have there not uh, correspond like biological terms uh, to any specific uh, bacterium or, or virus that, that you can have in the real world, uh, what it matters is that the uh, ecological processes that you see in place there, so the way these bacteria interact with other bacteria and, and with viruses are mimic quite uh, uh, closely in a quite realistic way uh, what you can see in, in the real world community so we we fought uh, in, in the real world system now we have uh, with the permafrost melting we, we have uh, a a huge number of uh, as a method which are with it, and this number is uh, as high as one uh, sixty one sextillion no six billion of uh, cells uh, of bacteria and uh, viruses are, which enter the, the environment uh, just in the northern hemisphere uh, each year which means uh four uh by uh per ten by then at the power the of twenty one, so it's, it's
1: a number of uh, higher than than all the stars in the in the galaxy. So new. But what pathogens are in the permafrost? What has been sampled and observed? What's there and uh, where? Yeah, well, the, the the fact is that we we actually so so the, there are studies that that,
2: that have looked. Uh, and that have managed to to isolate uh, different uh, kind of viruses and bacteria, which are uh, like very far away from, from the water one and, and very different. So there are, but uh, there, there there is no like we, we cannot say that they cannot find necessarily viruses uh, that uh, correspond to that that can cause particular disease or or, or uh, that are identical to the model one. Even though there are there were examples, for instance, example, where you had like uh, anthrax, have some cases of the. Uh, un uh, from uh, carcasses of uh, animals uh, in, in the eyes, but that's of course we are talking about like more recent uh pathogens that can came in contact with, with the model community uh, as far as concerns we, uh, what can come from the permafrost, the problem is that uh, we actually do not uh, do not know and that that's why we actually made this study so there is uh, uh, so we know that there's uh, a lot of uh, microbes that are trapped uh, in ice. And there, are, uh, there have been a lot of studies that, uh, well, not, not a lot, but quite a few studies that uh, have, have uh, tried to revive some of those organisms in laboratory conditions. And uh, it has been shown that uh, at least uh, some of these organisms, which have been trapped there for millennia, will be uh, viable. And uh, I'm talking mostly about bacteria and viruses, but like the was, for instance, one uh, study that was published uh, basically the same, the same day that, that our paper about uh, time-traveling bacteria. Was published where uh, in, in that study they they were actually able to revive uh, uh, an ancient nematode from uh, the uh, Siberian permafrost, and uh, that nematode was uh, 48,000 uh, uh, years old. And a nematode is is, is a multicellular organism, is, is a is a round one, so it's uh, it's even more complex than than, than bacteria and, and, and virus So there is the possibilities that. Uh, uh, all this diversity, which is trapped in ice, is not just as they're dead, but but can also come alive uh, again when the when the come across the So the first question we have to to answer there is not necessarily uh, whether there is a, a, like a new coronavirus trapped there for something that we might uh, which we might fear, but uh, also whether or not this organism could survive in the modern communities. And that question is not just about uh, reviving things uh, in, in a lab. But uh, it's also an ecological question because, of course, if you are a pathogen, you need to find a suitable, uh, like immediately suitable host, and then you you need to to reproduce to to a degree which permits uh, you to survive uh, not just an, as an individual, but as as a population and to persist in the communities. And today, after has been not, not ours was the first study that tried to tackle this uh, this, this problem, uh, this question uh, uh, directly. So And and we actually found that surviving for this organism in the modern community is quite a common thing. So even though those organisms are ancient and are uh, somehow separated by a long evolutionary or, and co-evolutionary time from the, the modern host that they can infect, these ancient viruses can can, can survive, and find a place, can reproduce, can stay into the uh, community. But uh, that the second question is, uh, if these organisms are able to survive, what would be the, their impact? And before, like jumping to what could be like the the impacts for human health or or also for or, like producing their uh, outbreak, which was uh, of course one of the uh, one, one question that the media were quite interested in. The first first question is uh, whether they could have some uh, ecological impact on the microbial community that can uh, invade, and we we found that uh, also this is quite rare. So in uh, like three percent of our simulations, those. Uh, pathogens became dominant in the modern communities, so they, they became more abundant than the modern virus.
1: Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives in our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from $10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show. What What kind of pathogens and how would they be picked up? Would they have volatilized in the air? I mean, have you tried to culture any of these pathogens? Like, what what are they? In addition to modeling, in in our modeling, you mean, or, or in the real world? So, what, have you what, have you been able to sample, and look in the real world, and see? You know, again, what world world. are are there? I mean, I mean no, 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 but no, no. I mean, the, our study was, was just modeling
2: study, so we did not take any 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 samples. So, so we we it was just so our simulations are, are somehow uh, limited to to our in silico. System. Uh, there are other studies where, by by other scientists, where they have uh, tried to to isolate those, like as I said, viruses and bacteria and also other uh, multicellular organisms from uh, trapped uh, in ice and the permafrost. And sometimes they found something interesting, like they found the giant viruses, so uh, viruses, very different from the from the modern ones, also from a morphological perspective. But as uh, for our study, uh, as I said, our main goal was that of uh, looking at uh, the ecological mechanisms which can determine whether or not this organisms can survive, and as I said, we did that not by using the uh, real world organism because that would be uh, actually un- unfeasible or, or very difficult to to be done in the in the real world. So, so to give you some uh, uh, some numbers, so what what we did was uh, we so we simulated. 100 different uh, environmental settings with uh, different uh, amounts of resources, which might be which might mimic uh, like different kind of uh, environmental scenario with, with more or less uh, resources available for those microorganisms. And then we simulate 100 replicates for uh, each one of these uh, 100 settings. And in those replicas, we let evolve uh, our, simula- our communities of uh, digital viruses and bacteria for hundreds thousands of generations, and we obtain sort of the corresponding uh, uh a corresponding time of evolution in the real world of uh, uh hundreds thousands to million of, of years of bacterial evolution. So this is something that that you, you couldn't do
1: in the in in the real world. So potential experiments that. No, but, buy- if, but if you you start with knowing what strains or species are there and what niches they occupy, you know maybe some have to live. In an anoxic environment under permafrost, and some are more aerobic, and some require you know permafrost or uh, organic material in the permafrost in order to live as a substrate, and some not. And it seems like you no, I mean that that no,
2: no, I see what what you're saying, but it's a big, it's not, a, it's not exactly the so so when, you, when we think at organism, this is exactly what I'm um, I'm doing uh, in in most of my research, not not just in in this uh, in in this specific topic. It is not just so so you can. For sure, you can, you can take a, a single organism and you can uh, uh, look at uh, what are its, uh, its requirements, its, its ecological nature, and you can determine whether or not it might be able to survive in certain conditions. This is something that, like, when scientists try to revive uh, this organism in, in laboratory, they, they, they have also uh, chances to explore uh, what would be the conditions most uh, favorable to survival of this uh, organism. But that part is not what determines the, uh, whether or not, uh, it's in the real world. The ecological niche of one species is, of course, important, but it's sort of the minimum set of conditions in which the species can survive. But then whether or not the species will, uh, will be able, uh, like a pathogen will be able to be successful or to spread. Uh, or to spill over to to other pieces or create big outbreaks. is not just the results of the features of the pathogen, but it's the results of how the features of the pathogens interact with uh, uh, complexity uh, and, and the diversity of the system in which uh, that pathogen lives. And in, in this very peculiar setting, where we have ancient pathogens which are released from the which came in contact with with modern communities, and where there's been a, a very long term. Uh, evolutionary isolation between the pathogen and the modern community, then uh, the main question is not uh, about which condition could permit the, which environmental condition could be favorable to the survival of the organism, but uh, is uh, related to how the organism, uh, the the, the virus will uh, will cope with the modern organism, Or and specific and most importantly, in terms of the uh, uh, relationship of, of immunity between uh, the host, uh, the, the pathogen, and the, and the host. So you can have different scenarios where you can imagine a scenario where the, ho- the modern hosts have been separated uh, for enough time from the ancient pathogen that they uh, have uh, lost the immunity that they might have uh, developed in the past towards the same ancient viruses. And this in that, that setting, you might those hosts might be actually very vulnerable to the, to the new, to the, to the ancient pathogen. And, and so the ancient pathogen can then... Uh, try and maybe kill uh, the modern host uh, or and create big uh, damages to the to the modern communities. But you might have also have the opposite situation where since these uh, modern pathogens have been already exposed throughout their evolutionary history, of course, to the, the ancient viruses, they might have already sort of developed immunities towards them. So in that case, uh, they they might still have defenses and and that would uh, prevent
1: the, the pathogen to right. But uh, we, have, we have zero idea. Yeah. What- in the modeling, do you have an organism? Do you have a pathogen, or what, is the modeling just purely mathematical? Or what does it look like?
2: No, no, it, it, exactly. So that's the point. The kind of simulation that we use is quite peculiar, and that is not a, a, a mathematical model or a simulation where you have to make a lot of assumption, or you 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 have to tune uh, like parameter. Where I have to decide how an ancient pathogen will interact with the or what would be the immunity of the of the of pathogen. So what would you do with this? Uh, artificial life simulation is uh, uh, so you you have a set of like initial basic rules which just determines how like the organism interacts with the environment and uh, how the uh, organism mutate from uh, so you sort of define proteobacteria let's say an ancestral bacteria and then you just let these bacteria to evolve under certain environmental uh, condition but then what you do is the equivalent of what uh, you would do by putting a bacteria in a dish and just let uh, the bacteria to reproduce for a long time. Then at some point, we introduce introducing those uh, virtual dishes We also introduced uh, some, some pathogen, we had, but, but the reasoning was the same. So those pathogens simply multiply and, and, and evolve uh, freely. So the rules that you set are like, correspond to the rules that natural and, and genetic evolution have but all the rest that you observe in terms of uh, ecological uh, processes and uh, the evolution of immunity and uh, eventually the, the, the loss of immunity by the host uh, or the extinction of, of species and the emergence of complexity in those communities are all emergent properties that you do not control, you just observe them. So what we did was setting up this experiment and then letting them develop and in, in those experiments. So so try to explain them. We started with one ancestral virtual bacteria and 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 then and one ancestral virtual pathogen and we let them interact and evolve and those bacteria and pathogens differentiate throughout evolution into different species and make uh, and create in the end complex communities with uh, a lot of different kind of bacteria and a lot of different kind of uh, uh, viruses and as i say we had not control on how those communities evolve was sort of a natural process similar to what we would obtain if you had the hundred thousands of the years of the experiment in a, in, a, in a petri dish. And then at some point, and of course, since you run the simulation in the computer, you have also, you are not controlling what happened, but you can record information and store information at, the, at every single uh, time, time step. So what we could do in the simulation was coming back to community in the past and pick up some of the ancient organisms and transfer those ancient organisms into the corresponding modern communities that that we had uh, evolved. So so this is the kind of experiment that we did. We evolved for a long time those communities and then at some point we pick up some of the ancient viruses and we moved them into the modern communities. And again, uh, we did not make uh, uh, we we just sampled random viruses random ancient viruses and and would put them uh, randomly into into their uh, their modern community so so we really simulated as close as possible of course in our simulation what could happen if you have like the permafrost melting and some random virus from the uh, from the past at some random moment coming in contact with some uh, modern communities and again then at that point we we, we tried to uh, look at what was the effect of those uh, mix-up of uh, ice and uh, viruses in the, in the modern and, and the modern organism in ecological terms. So, again, since we were simulating things in the computer, we could run in parallel simulations where we uh, actually move the organism from the past communities, the viruses from the past communities to the modern ones, and those we can call them the invasion experiments, and control experiments, where we let the communities to continue to evolve without any intervention, so without any uh, invasion of virus from the past. And by comparing these layers of control experiment with no invasion and the experiments with the invasion, we were actually able to quantify the potential effect in terms of the different, the observed difference in diversity in the communities where we had the invasion of the, of the virus compared to the community where we had no invasion. And what we observed at the end of those experiments was that in, in, in most cases, there the, the was not much difference in the, in the counter experiments compared to the, those where we moved the invader. But in a few cases, we had actually quite dramatic changes. So the diversity of the experiment where we uh, had the invasion of uh, viruses from the past was in some cases 30% less than the diversity of the uh, control experiment, so in those cases, the uh, a single ancient uh, virus strain uh, reduced the diversity of the microbial communities by thirty percent. Yeah.
1: So, so, so this is what what we what would be. Okay. I, All right. I got it. it. Okay. So, where where is the modeling gonna go from here? Then, how is this gonna get used in the real world? So, so, w-
2: what kind of inspiration you mean? You, we we can take from these these results? To set up a real world experiment. Is that that the question? Right. Or what would be
1: a change made uh, based on these results?
2: But, okay, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, takeaway message from our result is that the the asset viruses from the past can uh, create dramatic uh, ecological change. It, if, even if uh, if this was uh, uh, somehow rare in our simulation, then you have to to think at uh, this this rarity in the perspective uh, uh, of the, the huge number of organisms that are released every year. So we simulated just one invasion by, by one virus. But with what is happening now is that you actually have a uh, org- uh, continuous runoff of uh, organisms since the, the permafrost is, is melting at uh, amazing rate. And uh, models predict that we might uh, lose uh, more than 40% of permafrost by, by the end uh, uh, of the century. So that means that uh, what we... So in our experiment, we basically demonstrated that these organisms might not only survive, but they may, might dramatically change the diversity and the composition of the bacterial community which are there. So the, all of these, I understand, might, might seem quite absurd, but the concrete implication of this is that uh, since the permafrost has been already melting for, for some time and, and is melting faster and faster, we, we might already have a, a huge amount of novel Ecological status, so novel ecological uh, m- microbial communities modified by the presence of the of these uh, pathogens, not just because of the presence of these pathogens, but also because of of their impact. So they're not just different because those pathogens are there. So we just we do not have just the addition of these uh, pathogens, but we have actually the addition of these pathogens whose their effect, their, their, their and and the changes that they create in the novel community. So we might have the, all this novel microbial community, and this what in the end, and and this is why we mentioned the potential uh, risk also for for, for human health, so whenever we create this kind of novel ecological settings, we also create novel uh, emerging risks, because we can have, for instance, uh, novel risks uh, of the of those viruses to animals and and potential uh, emergence of uh, uh, zoonotic uh, diseases. And uh, the fact that the release of uh, all viruses is somehow random. And it might be, of course, different in different regions. But might also means that we we might have not just like the same novel stacking emerging here and there, but we might have a, a very large set of very different novel ecological sectors. Each one of those novel stacking might might be associated to different risks, to different possibilities. So it's like we are creating a large set of potential sort of natural laboratories where. Ancient viruses are interacting with uh, modern uh, bacteria, creating potentially novel uh, elements of risk. So, what uh, our study shows is uh, the ecological mechanism, and from uh, and clearly from some theoretical perspective. But it's also provides quite strong evidence that uh, the ecological risk and the potential extension of these ecological risk also to other kinds of uh, of stress, also to, to humanists. Might might be real. So so, what we hope with our study is the, to actually encourage uh, scientists to have uh, a closer look at those novel ecological uh, settings and to study them not just in terms of uh, like single organisms. So it's of course interesting to know that we can revive uh, an organism which is uh, fifty thousand years uh, old. That that's really great. Right. Okay. How can people find out more about your research? Where can they go? They can they can have a look at uh, I I have a, a research page where my all my research is uh, is available and uh, last year I published uh, a book with uh, Springer which is uh, called uh, Hidden Past, uh, Hidden Pathways to Extinction where I discussed a lot of my research on uh, how and why ecological uh, interactions are fundamental in, uh, in in the global change uh, crisis. All right, very good Giovanni. Thank you for coming on the podcast and. Explaining, I appreciate it. Thank you, thank you so much. It was it was really nice to have this opportunity.
0: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius podcast with Richard Jacobs.